Uh, if you'll open up your Bible to Luke chapter 6, please, that's where we're going to be at this morning. If you're new here or visiting, um, we're grateful that you're here with us. Uh, we study God's Word um, on Sunday mornings, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, um, precept upon precept and line upon line, and we, keep, we do it that way in order to keep it in context and to keep... Uh, uh, um, keep it in the sense where it's God's word that's penetrating our hearts, not the words of men. And certainly not, not my words, because my words are, are empty and have no power, but God's word does to change our lives, to heal our lives, to encourage us, and to lead us into the path of righteousness and the right way to go. So as we begin this morning, um, I'm going to pick back up in verse 27. I just want to continue to remind you, this is the, the message that God's put on my heart for this year for us, and, and I, want to, I want to remind you, and I, I've, I've come to the point where I feel like I want to give us a scripture reference each, each, each Sunday morning to kind of remind us of this, because the Bible's full, full of them. But understand this, that Jesus loves you. The Bible tells you so. He loves us. And know this, even when it doesn't feel like it, God is always doing good for you. Always. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. The Apostle John writes, the Apostle of love, and he says, How great is the love of the Father. How great is the love of the Father which has been lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And he says, and that is what we are. And, and, and the love of God begins through the, through the cross, as it's demonstrated there in the sacrifice that Jesus made. But one of the things that we see in this verse is, is for that, what that affords to us is to be brought into to God's family. That he now says, call me your father, and I will be a father to you, and you're my children. It is great love. So as we begin to study this, this next passage through Luke and see God uh, reveal his love to us and his will for our lives, let's pray. I also want to pray for the First Christian Church here in town, uh, our fellow brothers and sisters that go there. I talked to him this week, and um, the, the cool thing is I mentioned a, a couple months ago that they have been without a pastor for a while now at the First Christian Church. And uh, they told me that they have two candidates selected, and they're just really asking for wisdom and discernment on which one God would have uh, shepherd and lead their, their church. So we'll pray for the, the, the elder board there and for the congregation who's been without a pastor and for whoever this new pastor might be. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for this time together. Thank you for the encouragement that you've already brought to us through the work that you're doing in Lordsburg and in the Bridge Youth Center. Thank you for the time of worship, Lord. Thank you, God, that you love us and you have good for us. And I, I pray, Lord, that that encouragement, that truth, that you love us and that you're for us, and you have good for us, would be in the hearts and the minds of our brothers and sisters there at the First Christian Church, Lord, especially since they've been without a shepherd, a, a, someone to lead and to teach regularly on a Sunday morning, um, to oversee that congregation, Lord, and to... Um, be a blessing to them. And as the older staff there, the board there, Father, has these last two people to, to pray over and to have uh, to make a decision on who would pastor that fellowship there after not having one for so long, I pray, God, that it would be made clear to them and that the man that they're choosing, Lord, would be faithful to you to teach your word, to love the people that come there. And Lord, for our time in um, the Gospel of Luke this morning, Lord, teach us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, let's read starting in verse 27 of chapter, 
chapter 6, um, picking back up in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus teaching his disciples. And he says in verse 27, he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. Um, and from him who takes away your cloak, literally your coat, do not withhold your hat or your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Verse 33. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those or if you or if you lend to those from whom you have whom you hope to receive back what credit is that to you for even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back but love your enemy enemies do good and lend hoping for nothing in return and 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 your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the unthankful and evil therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Verse 37, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given, given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And in verse 39, it says, he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So in other words, choose your teacher wisely, right? And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove that speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. What's in there? Father, again, we thank you for your word. We believe and we proclaim it to be truth. And so, Lord, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive it as truth, so, God, that we may continue to build our lives upon uh, the things that you speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, last week we read through the, the first part of the, of the Sermon on the Mount on, on the first half of this, this chapter. And um, we read uh, in regards that, that, the, that in that aspect of beginning to study through this, we, we were looking at Christ um, who, who proclaimed himself to the Pharisees before this as, as Lord and, and taking that aspect of Jesus being the Lord of our lives and then going into this additional aspect where Jesus is now teaching his disciples as we're told that he turned to them away from the crowds who he had been ministering to, turning to his disciples and speaking these words of truth to them. And in speaking to his disciples, we see that Christ is conveying this other need that we have in our life. Not just the words that he spoke in here in particular, but all of his words in general and going, is he also our teacher? Do we receive words of wisdom, words of instruction, words of, of, of knowledge that can be applied to our lives from what 
God has revealed to us through his son Jesus in his word? Or are we taking other teachers into our lives that, 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 and living our lives according to what man says or according to what God says? Is he your teacher? And, and with that aspect, we see that in the first part of the message that Jesus gave various reasons for why those who are the citizen of, citizens of, of God's kingdom, why they are blessed. Remember, we went through the Beatitudes, the blesseds, and then the curses that, that were, were presented in contrast to that. And as we continue on into these next verses that we've read here this morning, I want to point out, because I mentioned this briefly last week, but I want to point out that there are three remaining divisions of this Sermon on the Mount recorded for us here in the Gospel of Luke for us to look at. So if you're taking notes, this is kind of how it breaks down. The second part, which is actually the, 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 the first part we were looking at last week was the Beatitudes. And um, this week, as we are moving on into verses 27 to 26, the second part can be summarized as teachings on loving. Jesus, as a teacher, teaches us how to love, what that's like for those of us who are citizens of his kingdom. The, the third part is in verses 37 through 45. Uh, we read some of that. We'll get to the rest of it here later on. And it's, it's teachings on forgiving or on forgiveness. And um, there's, there's the world's way of forgiving, right? And there's God's way of forgiving. And I'm here to tell you, God's way of forgiving, it's best. And the reason I know that is because I've received God's forgiveness, and so have you. And, and it tells us over and over again, and in the same manner in Scripture, in the same manner that we have been forgiven, we need to forgive others. Forgive others the way that God puts forth, not the way that, that the world puts forth. And so the, 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 sec, the third part is teachings on forgiveness or on forgiving. And the last part, the fourth part of this, this Sermon on the Mount as it's broken down is very key to this aspect of Jesus being the teacher. Because um, in this last part in verses 46 through 39, it's really ultimate, it's ultimately teachings on obedience or on obeying obeying God, the words that God reveals to us, the path that he shows us to walk on. And we'll talk about that hopefully with the time that we have this morning because it doesn't do us any good whether we're in a secular classroom in a, at a college level, high school, um, middle school, or if we're taking a seminar online or if we're coming to church and, and being taught God's word or even reading God's word on our own. It doesn't do us any good to take those things in and, and, and not live in obedience, to not apply them to our lives. And if we're not willing to apply them to our lives, then the time that we spent in that has been worthless, right? If there's no application. A long time ago, I, I, uh, I tried to learn how to play the guitar. Um, it's not for me. Um, and, and I spent some time learning it, but ultimately, what I, what I, even the, the, the lessons that I was being taught didn't come to avail, not only because I'm just, I, I can't do it, but because I probably didn't spend the time practicing it, obeying, if you will, what my teacher was teaching me to do. And as a result today, I still can't play the guitar. And we don't want that in relationship to God's word, guys. We want to be changed. We want to be made, continuing going through this process of being made new. But in light of these three other parts that we're looking at this morning, I want to remind us that, that leading up to this point, talked about it last week briefly, the primary message in Jesus' ministry, chronologically speaking, up to this point, had been the message of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's where we all start. God calls us to realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Bottom line. And like Amy was saying, it begins with repentance, and through repentance there's restoration, and through restoration there's this relationship that is born forth where we are now in fellowship with God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And God's done all the work. It's His grace that He offers to us. And, and then when we have faith in the work that God's done and the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy that He pours out on us, it's a gift. And all are accepted. All come to Him because of that and are received and are accepted. However, when we read these teachings of Jesus, like we've been studying through last week and even this morning now as we're going into this last section of it, when we, when we read these additional teachings, this, this new message, if you will, they're classified now as kingdom teachings because they teach us about the kingdom of heaven. In other words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning the doors are open. God wants us to be a part of his uh, holy citizenship and in, in, in a part of his family. And, and once we do that, then we, we enter into this new place and Jesus is telling his disciples, those of us who have put our faith in him and received forgiveness, received God's grace, that there's, there's now he tells us how to live as citizens of this, this kingdom, of this, new, of this new life that we've been given. And we see a shift in Jesus' primary message at this time, considering the things that Jesus began to teach were specifically addressed for those who were the citizen of God's kingdoms, of God's kingdom. And that's what this message is for, and that's who it's for, and, and that applies to us today. And these words of Jesus, they teach us how to live differently, differently than the world, differently than we have all of our lives as we live as citizens of a heavenly kingdom while we wait here or sojourn here as we journey here on this earth and ultimately wait for Jesus' return. And the reason why I point this out is to remind us of this, guys. Very clearly, the thing that you need to see ultimately in the message, and I'm sure it's clear even as I was reading it to you this morning, the thing that we need to see clearly is, is that God's ways, they're not man's ways. They're not. And the Lord even proclaims that. He says, he says, my ways are high above your ways. And sometimes we don't always understand God's way, and that where it comes back to this faith of knowing, okay, God loves me, and he's got good for me, even though I don't understand everything that he's doing in the moment. And when we read some of these things that Jesus calls us to do, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, and these things that we're talking about, in, inside our minds and our hearts, at least in mine, I'm going, I don't get that. That doesn't make no sense to me. That's not how I was raised. That's not how I grew up. But God's ways, which are the best ways, are not like man's ways. In fact, these teachings are contrary to, to everything that the world does and everything that the world teaches. However, these ways of God, which we of his followers must live by, they are the best. It's the best way to live. It's the best way to live. It's the best way to live our lives, even though... I'll be the first to say it. They can be very difficult to do. Very difficult to do. But we need to remember that God, who is a loving Father, here's the cool thing. He's only going to ask us to do what he equips us to do. He's only going to ask you to do what he equips you to do and ultimately knows what can be done. I've used this analogy before. You know, raising my boys, I'm sad they're moved out because now I'm left to do a lot of these projects that I had them with me to do. They're, they're not here. And Riley's going to be back, my oldest son, on February 21st. And I got some projects lined out. But as a good father, when we did these projects, I would, I would give them the tools to be able to do it. I would equip them, right? I wouldn't give them a, a teaspoon and say, go dig that hole. That wouldn't be loving. I give them a shovel. And, and not only that, I wouldn't, get, I wouldn't have them do something that they could not do, that I knew they couldn't do. There were many times I'd ask them to do things that they didn't believe that they could do it, 
But as I walked with them and I encouraged them and I showed them and I equipped them, they were able to do things that they did not believe that they would be able to do. And as we read these things of, of Christ spoken to us as, as in ways to live for those who are citizens of the kingdom of God, and you think about your everyday life and people who are in your life and you go, I don't know if I can do that for that person. God says, I will equip you to do that. And I know that you can. He won't ask us to do what we can't do. In him, through him, through this new nature that we've been given and through the empowering equipping of the Holy Spirit. So with that, let's look back to verse 27 where we began and begin to break this down for us this morning. And in verses 27 through 36, these are the teachings, like I said, that are on love. And is there not a way that the world loves as well? It's selfish. It's self-centered. It's on what can I really get for myself. Yet we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, it talks about what biblical love truly looks like. Patient, kind, selfish, or selfless, I mean. And you can go and, you can go and read all these things, but these teachings on love are different than the, the teachings or the way that we see the world loves. And from verse 27, we see that Jesus starts out from the premise that anybody who lives for eternal values and for God's kingdom, that they're going to get in trouble with those who are of this world. That's the premise that he starts out with in this teaching of love or these teachings on love. Remember, the Bible teaches us in Matthew chapter 5, another gospel, in verses 13 through 16, that as followers of Jesus, he says, he says that we are, he's not saying we're to be, he says you are, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Two awesome metaphors that are given there in order to describe who we are as citizens of God's kingdom. Salt of the earth and light of the world, meaning that the way that we live and the words that we speak should be like salt that seasons and makes things desirable and, and like the light that shines before people and ultimately brings glory to our Father in heaven. We are. By the words we speak and the lives we live. However, you know that salt and light has other attributes besides making things tasty and guiding and, and illuminating so we know where to go. In fact, some of the things, some of the other attributes about salt is that salt is an antiseptic. And um, even though in, in regards to being an antiseptic and killing infection, if you've ever got salt um, in an open wound or, or something like that, it's not pleasant. This year I got to swim in the Dead Sea. And it's It's salty. And if you have a scratch or a scrape or anything anywhere on your body, you're going to know where it's at instantly. It burns. And, and at one point, and they tell you not to do this, and I'm just a slow learner. I got, my, I got under the water. I got my hair wet because you want to try to experience the floating like a bobber thing. And you don't float on the, uh, in the water. You float on top of the water. It's the weirdest thing. And if you're going there with us in May, you'll get to experience it as well. But... Um, I happened to get a bunch of the water on my face and in my eyes. It felt like acid. I, I, I made my way out, I don't know how, not looking onto the shore, and it's all muddy, it's all rigid to the showers, and I'm like, my wife, I think she was like, you're okay? I'm like, I'm fine. But salt can be, encountering salt can be a painful experience. If you have some on your salad or your vegetables or your baked potato with sour cream and cheese, it's a different deal. Salt's tasty, it's, it's desirable, but if it's in your eyes, 
is not desirable. If it's in your wounds, it's not desirable. It, it may be necessary in some ways, but it's not desirable. And, and, and likewise, light, you know, one of the aspects of light, it exposes everything all the time. It reveals things that perhaps we don't want exposed, things that people don't want exposed. So the light, the salt and light that we're supposed to be, it can be a blessing to those who are around us, certainly, but it can also be what? A thing of offense, just by the very nature of it. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. He said, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved, and among those who are being perishing. And perishing, in other words, we as salt and as light, or we as um, uh, those who have God now living inside of us and having this new nature, just by that very reason alone, that we are a fragrance to the world. We're the fragrance of Christ to both those who are being saved and to those who will not be saved, those who, won't re- those who will reject Christ. To those who will receive Christ, to those who will reject Christ, they, when they come near us, we smell like something to them. Right? They're like, you smell funny. Something different about you. And, and he, Paul goes on and he says to the church, he says, to the one, we're the aroma of death leading to death. That's not good. In, in the sense of, um, whenever I think about this passage, I always think about the heat of the summer and, like, roadkill. You know, you'd be driving in your car, you're listening to your favorite music, you got the, the air conditioning on, all of a sudden you're like, ooh, what is that? You don't have to see it, you smell it, and it's rotting flesh. Paul says, yeah, that's what we are to some. That's how we smell to some. And he says, yet and those are those two who are leading to death and to the other were the aroma of life leading to life. And I'm here to tell you, I remember that, that before I gave my life to Christ, I was on the path that was leading to death. And when Christians would come around me, I'd be like, you stink, get away from me. I don't want nothing to do with you. They were offense to me. Now, it's different. You guys are the aroma of life to me. You're my brothers, my sisters, my family. Something I desire to be around. You smell good, mostly. <laughs> right? And, and, and as Jesus starts off with this love message, with this foundation, this truth, it, 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 we should note that as we follow Jesus, guys, there are going to be those who are attracted and desire what we have in Jesus Christ, what we've found, what we've received in Jesus Christ. And sadly, there are going to be the others who are repulsed and want nothing to do with us and nothing more to do with Jesus. Consequently, those who are repulsed, those who think we stink like rotting roadkill, they'll demonstrate their hatred towards us in some way that Jesus identified here. And back in verse 22, Jesus said that they will do these things. They're going to exclude you. They're, gonna, they're not going to let you play in any of their reindeer games. They're going to exclude you. They're going to reject you. They're going to cast us out. And they're going to cast out even our name as evil for his sake. Then here in verse 28, if you look, he said that they will curse you. That they, literally, that means they're going to insult you. They're going, to, they're going to take advantage of you. And in verse 29, they said that he, they will even 
at times. And of course, he's speaking to his apostles and his disciples here, these who suffered physical abuse greatly than I hope we ever know, but it still goes on all over the world today where people are being being um, are suffering physically in all these ways, being persecuted for their faith and their love of Jesus Christ. And, and it says they'll even physically abuse us and they'll steal from us. The point is these actions and others like them are things that we need to expect. And, and expecting them cannot, will help us to not um, respond in a way that is like the world, that will respond like Christ has shown us in the way that he's taught us. See, the Apostle Paul, you guys know about him, he, he was very familiar with these kinds of things. He's very familiar with people hating him, people rejecting him, people persecuting him, people abusing him, all as a result of his decision to follow after Jesus, to be that salt and light to those around him. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he said this, he said, yes, all those who desire to live godly, there's the key. All those who desire to live godly in Jesus will suffer persecution. What an uplifting message this morning, right? Sorry. It is uplifting because the recognition of this brings us to this place. These things are truth. They're going to happen, but what it means is you're living a godly life. What it means is that Jesus Christ is living through you. And not only are they seeing all these things that can be hard or difficult for people to see, they also see that you're loving, that you're kind, that you're patient, that you're long-suffering, that you're gracious, that you're forgiving, that you're merciful, just like our Father in Heaven is. And that's the type of person I want to be. It's not the person that I always am, but that's the type of person that I want to be. So if we know these things, what Jesus is telling us here, and Paul's written about to be true, we should even expect for these things to happen um, uh, and we should ask ourselves, in light of it, how should, how, how, we should ask how we should respond when someone does these hateful and evil things to us. How should we respond? Now, if we didn't have the teachings of Jesus that follows this initial statement that Jesus made, which I've elaborated on for us, if we didn't have these teachings of Jesus, each one of us would probably respond in a similar way. Think about it. In that, accordance to our, our old nature, right, our flesh nature, we'd retaliate against those who harmed us. And, and even if we did retaliate, we at the very least, even if we didn't retaliate, we at the very least would seek to get justice, right? But we do have these kingdom teachings. We do have these kingdom teachings of Jesus. And in these verses, he instructs those of us who are citizens of God's kingdom. He says, love your enemies when they treat us in these evil and hurtful ways. Love your enemies, okay? How do I do that? How do I do that? It's a hard thing. How do I do that? And, and then Jesus goes on. He doesn't leave any, anything up for us to guess. He goes on and he tells us exactly how to love our enemies. If you'll notice, they're saying that we should do good to those who hate us. Love your enemies by doing good to them when they hate you. He says we should bless those who curse us. So when they insult us and speak evil and untrue things, we should, we should say, speak blessings upon them. We should treat them in a way where they're being blessed. And we should pray for those who spitefully use us. And it's not the prayer, oh God, get them. You wouldn't believe what they did to me. May all four tires of their car go flat. 
We should pray for those who spitefully use us. And hopefully that prayer begins with, God, they need to know you. They need to know what you've shown me, what you've given to me, this goodness, this kindness, this love. And you know what God does when, when you pray that prayer? He then uses you to be that vehicle into their life. Uses you. That's what prayer does. Prayer doesn't necessarily change them. Prayer changes us. So pray for those who spitefully use you because then we go before God. And when we go before God, you know what we are? We are equipped. We're strengthened. We're empowered to go and love people in these ways that Christ has shown us. A better way. God's way. Which is high above our ways. And so Jesus instructs us here um, and his instructions are different than what we would want to do. Different one that the world teaches, considering, right? Considering the world teaches us in these moments, we don't have to guess. It teaches us it used to retaliate, to return evil for evil. But, but these things are hateful. And, and you know what hatred does? Hatred brings, breeds forth more hatred, right? In fact, James, in James chapter 1, it says this. Listen, I love this passage of Scripture. It says, The wrath of man... Okay, so in the situations when you're treated this way and you're angry and you, you act out in, in the world's way, in the way of our flesh, right? It says that, our wrath, the wrath of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And sometimes we think that, boy, I'm just gonna show them and then it's gonna be made right. And it doesn't even have to be with an outsider of the world. It can be within the church family, right? We have problems with one another. How do we react to one another? How do we treat one another? Do we see each other in this adversarial role and treat each other that way? Or do we go, okay, if I want the righteousness that comes forth from God in this situation, it's not going to be through wrath, through me expressing this anger and seeking to get revenge or, or, or being seen, even viewed as right, it comes from doing it God's way. How about in the marriage relationship? When has it ever been better in your marriage relationship when you've retaliated back? But yet when you love and you pray and you do good in those moments when you feel like you're being hated or you're being spitefully used or someone's speaking insults about you, that brings forth a different response. In other words, anger, wrath, and retaliation are not the means Listen, they're not the means or the method by which God will bring forth his will into our lives or through our lives or on this earth. Anger, wrath, retaliation are not the means or the methods by which God works to bring forth his will on this earth. On the contrary, he always works from, from, he always works from and with the motivation of love. And likewise, love is to be the way that we are to respond to our enemies when they do evil and hurtful things to us. But like I said, when we started, in order for us to live and respond like Jesus teaches us here, when I read this, if we ever hope to accomplish these things, it can't be in our own strength. I know when I read this, that's, I can't do that. I can't do this. And if you think back to a time in your own life and a time even maybe not so far back, maybe something you're going through right now where someone has treated you in an evil, hateful, spiteful, insulting way, Tell me that your first response was, oh, I love them so much and I want to do all these nice things for them. No. And that's why I know that I can't do this on my own strength. It has to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's way. God equipping me. God's, God making the thing, of it, making it out so that I can do it. 
And this is illustrated for us even greater in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, which says this. Listen. It says, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so at conversion, when you, when you gave your life to Christ, when you said, I believe in you, Jesus, as the Son of God, and that you've died for my sins, and I receive you and accept that gift of salvation, that grace that you pour out into my life, the Holy Spirit comes to live with inside us, the Bible says. We receive a new nature, the nature of God. God's ways are now a part of our ways. He says he's written them upon our hearts so that we might walk in them. And at that moment, in that time, the love of God was poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so the love of God, which we're talking about, and the ways of God in which he loves, is then there equipped and available to us. And furthermore, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, 22 and 23, it also says this. It says, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And there's different interpretations to what follows here, and I'm just going to follow with this one. The, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, and it's manifesting itself through our lives into the lives of people around us. In other words, the additional fruit that's born out of the fruit of love is joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's what I was saying earlier. That's the type of person that I want to be. That's the type of person who is a part of God's kingdom, is. Remember the last part from last week with the Beatitudes? The first word there was being. You know, it's the state of being. This is who we are because of this relationship that we have with Christ. We just have to make a decision to submit to God, to set aside our pride, to set aside our, 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 our self-righteousness, to set aside what we want and allow God's wants and will to be manifested through our lives, to walk in the Spirit. How do we do that? Simple, read your Bible. Pray. Hang around other Christians who are also heading this direction because you know what? When, you, when we start to act out in the flesh or the way of the world, hopefully a brother or a sister will come alongside you and remind us and encourage us to walk in a different path. Maybe even someone that we can just vent to. I got people like that in my life where I'm just like, bleh. You know? Rather than going and reacting in a way that I don't really want to do, that doesn't glorify God or bring forth any kind of godliness or righteousness the right way, I go to talk to them first. And they encourage me. You apply these basic principles that God's given us into our lives, and that's how we walk in this way. It's a journey, it's a path. And in light of this, it's important to point out how these admonitions on how to love our enemies that Jesus gives us, they're more than just a set of rules that are to be obeyed. Understand that? This is God, God isn't into legalism. Jesus isn't saying, okay, here, these, this Old Testament rules and regulations, we're just going to do away with that so I can give you a whole bunch more, different ones. As a matter of fact, Jesus at one point boiled it all down. He said what? The whole of the law, all the rules, all the regulations, all the lists of to-dos and not to-dos, he says it's this, love God and what? Love others, two things. And so we can't come away from this and go, okay, here's another list. This is what I gotta do. It's, it's more than a list. These are not just a set of rules that are to be obeyed because they first and foremost, you know what they describe? They describe an attitude of, a heart, of the heart. What is, what is the attitude of our heart? They describe an attitude of the heart seen in an example by those who are citizens of God's kingdom. Right? It's not what comes into a man, but what comes out of a man. What is in our heart? 
And, 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 and what we read earlier in Romans, it's the, it's the love of God that's been poured into us. We just can't be stingy with it. The forgiveness of God that's been shown to us, we can't be stingy with it. In other words, we don't walk around with this, God's given me love, I ain't given anything to anybody. No forgiveness, no love, nothing. We walk around with hands tight, fists closed. And we know what we're supposed to do, and God equips us to do it in those moments because each one of us know. We're in our mind, we're going, okay, um, I, 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 I'm convicted to do this, but I sure really want to do this instead. So you get none, you get no forgiveness, you get the silent treatment instead. You know, however it manifests itself in your life, I'm a good at silent treatment. It's not good, but that's one of it. It's like, pfft. I won't talk to you for a while. Right? I mean, there's other ways. And you have your way too. And, but these things that Jesus is talking about is really an attitude of the heart, exampled by those. It needs to be exampled by those of us who are citizens of the King God. An attitude of a heart that expresses itself. Listen, here's how it goes. Let me just break it down. I'm going to give you categories, but within these categories, there's many points of application. Think about them. An attitude of heart that expresses itself, expresses itself in, in positive ways when others are negative. Are you that guy? When someone's like, ah, nah, and criticizing and being condemning and, and, and being negative, are you that guy that's just like, oh, yeah, and jump on the bandwagon? Or are you that person that's being positive and speaking, you know, maybe they're even speaking un, unkindly things about another person, and, and you know that to be true, but you also know that this other person is, is this way as well. Are you speaking positive things? You're going, yeah, but, you know, this brother or this sister or this person, they're really good at that, and then maybe, you know, they have this weakness, but, you know, it's, it's speaking positive things. That's an attitude of the heart of love that Jesus is talking about and needs to be in us. An attitude of heart that expresses itself in positive ways when others are negative. How about this? Generous when others are selfish. That's an attitude of the heart. Generous in generous ways when others are selfish. And in, and in ways, here's ultimately, in ways that always bring, in ways that always bring glory to God. In other words, what is being spoken of here is an issue of character, an inner being, an inner character that comes as a result of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, following the instructions to love our enemies and how to love them, Jesus points out two principles that are intended to encourage us to practice the things which are difficult to do. Let me say that again. Following these instructions to love our enemies and then the, the, the how to love them that comes after that, Jesus also points out two principles that are intended to encourage us to practice these things which are difficult to do. The first is in verse 31. We're going to have to end with this this morning before the worship team comes comes up. Boy, we didn't make it very far at all. The first is in verse 31. Listen, look what it says. It says, we must treat others as we would want to be treated. Principle one. If nothing else, take away the list and come back to this one statement. This statement is referred to by Christians and non-Christians alike, right? And, and, and the world, when we are not loving like we're supposed to, they'll, they'll throw this, this in our face even at times. You know, it's called the golden rule. It's, called, it's referred to as the golden rule, that we would treat others the way that we want to treat us. And this instruction, this principle, works from the obvious premise that each of us only wants the very best for ourselves. Right? And I have to agree with that statement. 
I ultimately only want the very best for myself. And Jesus, knowing that, says, okay, if you don't know exactly what to do in this situation, what would you want for yourself? And treat the other person like that. So if we keep this in mind then and say, how would I like to be treated if someone else did this to me? Then we will be encouraged and motivated to respond in the right way that Jesus has spoken of. Now the second principle that we're going to end with this morning, and I want to remind you, with the last song of worship, um, um, there are going to be people who come forward, guys, um, who will be available. They'll have little badges on. They're part of the prayer team. They'll be here and they'll be available to pray with you. And, and, and take advantage of that because I guarantee you, we're all in a spot where we're struggling with some of these things in one way or another. To be like Christ. To walk in his ways. And where we all desire is, but come and be prayed for and be equipped and be empowered to be able to treat others in the way that we want to treat ourselves. Be empowered. Now, the second principle of encouragement that Jesus points out to us in closing is in verse 36, where we're told to imitate our Father in heaven. And we kind of started like this, but to imitate our, with this, we, we, we're told to imitate our Father in heaven in verse 36 and to be merciful like he is merciful. Jesus told, he spoke in, in, in the Gospel of John, and it says that he did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world, to be merciful, to be kind, to be forgiving. And I know that's the best way, the better way, because that's what I've received. Out of no merit of my own, completely undeserving of those things, and yet God's loved me. He's shown his love to me. He's forgiven me. He's been merciful to me. And you know what? That's caused me to feel good. It's changed my life. It's put me on a different path. God's restored the years that the locusts have eaten to me. The things that my sin has destroyed and taken away, God said, I'm bigger than that. And look at these awesome things that I'm going to do in you, through you, and for you. He's merciful. He's not given me what I deserve. And that's been the best. That's been the best. And so this last principle that Jesus points us to in verse 36, where we're to imitate our Father in heaven and be merciful like he is merciful. And, and, and in light of this, guys, we must realize this. We must realize this. We must realize that the most important thing for us who are the children of God is to become more like our Heavenly Father in regards to our own character and in regards to the deeds that flow out of our lives. And you know what? By far, this is more important than being vindicated before our enemies. That's the alternative. Do we want to just have the opportunity to retaliate to those who hurt us? Do we want to have justice to those who have done wrong to us? Or are we ultimately going to get our eyes off of the people around us and get our eyes on our Father in heaven and go, what you have given to me, what you have shown to me, how you have revealed yourself to me, I want to be like that for those around me. To be transformed into his likeness. To love like he has loved. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for this time. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your love for us. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here this morning who is struggling 
with that knowledge, with that understanding. Maybe they're looking at who they are and the things that they've done. Like I had found myself at, at one point and even sometimes still struggle with now, God, in my weakness and my flesh and my, and my faults and my failures and, 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 and the disa- destruction that I, I brought into my life and the lives of others through the, the ungodly things that I've done. Father, I pray that you would reveal to them that your love, your grace, your forgiveness, the work that you've done on the cross for them is more than enough. That they don't have to stand in this place of condemnation, Lord. That they can stand in this place of love and forgiveness and acceptance and receive everything that you have for them. That you too would come into their lives, into their hearts, change them and make them different to make them into the people that you want them to be and the people that, they, that we all desire to be, God. And I pray for those of us, Lord, who desire to walk in your ways. That you would equip us, that you would... Show us and remind us that we can do this. That you're looking at us as your kids and going, you got it, you can do it, you can do this. You can do this. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.